Well, would you join with me in a word of prayer? Father, thank you that you are the great God. We praise you. We praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We pray that uh, you'd be glorified in our worship this morning. We pray that you'd be exalted. We want to bless the Lord with all of our hearts. We want to bless the Lord today and forevermore. We, we praise you, God, that you are Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we ask you to reveal yourself to us this morning. Thank you that you've created this day, this time, this opportunity to lift up your name in praise. We want to surrender our hearts to you, our lives to you. We want to see, receive a word from you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, to every one of us, that we might see Jesus clearly and embrace Jesus and abide in Jesus and, and live lives filled up with Jesus. Lord Jesus, we invite you to live through us right now, to think through our minds, to speak through our mouths, to live your resurrection life through our bodies. We pray, Lord Jesus, that we would follow you as your disciples, we'd proclaim your name, we'd shine our light. We pray, Jesus, that this morning your word would satisfy our thirsty soul and your word would fill our hungry soul with what's good. We thank you for what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. I'm delighted to be here. Pastor J.P. Jones. I'm from Crossline Church in Laguna Hills, California. Been coming to Hume Lake for, for many, many years, and it's always a blessing and a, and a great joy for me to be here. I'm going to say something very profound, because I like to say something profound in every message that I give. And here it is. Are you ready for it? We're not in the garden anymore. We're not in the garden anymore. Sin has entered into the human drama. Sin has affected creation. Sin has affected our lives, our relationships, our families. Sin has affected us. And this side of heaven, we will never live sin-free lives. Now, the good news is we can sin less, but we will never be sinless this side of heaven. In heaven, we're going to receive resurrection bodies. We're going to be with God. He's going to remove all evil, all evil people. He's going to remove all sin and the consequences of sin. And we will enter into the full joy of our master in heaven. But this side of heaven, there is a spiritual battle. Now, people respond in different ways. There's some of us there's some of us whose response to the reality of the spiritual battle and the fact that sin is in the world is just sin. It's like we're flatlined. We're spiritually dead. That's what the Bible says. It says in Ephesians 2, 1, that we were dead in trespasses and sins prior to being born again as followers of Jesus Christ. And there are some people, maybe even here, who are just spiritually flatlining. There's others who are on a roller coaster of Sin confess, sin confess, sin confess, sin confess, sin confess, sin confess. It's certainly not the abundant life in Jesus Christ. But there's some who's maybe have experienced what Jesus promises and what the Bible describes is not a life that's sinless, but is a life that's characterized more by spiritual freedom, spiritual victory, and the power of God's Spirit actually changing us to become more and more like Jesus. This morning, I want to just share from the life of Jesus how to win the battle with temptation. How to win the battle with temptation. This is Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 15. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness. And for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, he ate nothing during those days. And when they had ended, he became hungry. 
And the devil said to him, if you're the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone. And he led him up to show him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it's been handed over to me, and I will give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship me, it shall all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from the temple And the devil tried to use Jesus' tactic, and the devil said, It's written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him and said to him, But it said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time, and Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, And news about him spread throughout all the surrounding district, and he began teaching in their synagogue and was praised by all. This encounter with Jesus and the devil and his temptations is profound in understanding who Jesus is, but also it's profound in understanding how we are to relate to Jesus and follow Jesus and his example. Right before this uh, encounter over in Luke 3, which If you are an astute student of the scriptures, you know that Luke 3 precedes Luke 4. So at the end of Luke 3, Jesus is baptized, and in that moment it says that the Father speaks, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased, and the Holy Spirit descends on him bodily like a dove. And then Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he's tempted by the devil. Right after this occasion, Jesus returns in the power of the Spirit. He goes into Capernaum. He walks into the synagogue. He takes the scroll of Isaiah. He reads this messianic prophecy from the scroll of Isaiah and says, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And Jesus begins his public ministry declaring himself to be the Messiah. So sandwiched between the baptism of Jesus and the public coronation of Jesus as the Messiah is this temptation experience. It's very important to kind of understand the context. Um, It's this time when Jesus is being prepared for the ministry that he has to do and fulfill as the Son of God and as the Messiah. Jesus has a ministry for each one of us. Jesus has a plan for each one of us. And we're going to step into that plan and we're going to accomplish the purpose that Jesus has for us as we understand and follow the example of Jesus in this temptation encounter. Because God wants us to not only fight the spiritual battle, but actually win the spiritual battle. In this experience of Jesus, he's led by the Spirit, he's filled up with the Spirit, and he encounters temptation. The devil throws at him his kind of threefold approach that he used on on Eve and on Adam, and he uses on us, and it's a tried and true method because it worked every time except with Jesus. He goes, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. The lust of the flesh turn these stones into bread. You're hungry. I can, I can satisfy that for you. He, uh, he goes, uh, the lust of the eyes. I'm going to give you all the kingdoms of the world. The pride of life. Throw yourself down from the temple, and everybody will worship you. See, this is just the strategy that Jesus encountered that 
Every person encounters because it's the way the devil comes at us. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. Only Jesus is successful, and he resists because Jesus, in every one of these encounters, what does he say? It's written, it's written, and in the third one, it's said. Jesus chose to depend more on God's word than on the devil's word. Jesus chose to depend more on God's word than on the devil's word. And Jesus, in the power of the Spirit, activates the word of God in his life. He he has received it, and he puts it into practice, and he activates it, and it gives him spiritual victory. It reminds me of that great Christian film, um, Gladiator, with that very profound evangelical Russell Crowe. Because at the very beginning of Gladiator, if you have ever seen the movie, Russell Crowe playing the part of Maximus is betrayed. They take him out very early in the morning. They're going to assassinate him, and two Roman soldiers are going to kill uh, Maximus, and he's on his knees with his hands tied. And before the soldier can kill him, he jumps up and knocks him, takes the sword and kills him. And then the other Roman soldier is trying to get his sword out to fight him, and he can't get it out. And Maximus looks at him and said, it's the frost. It makes the blade stick. And then he takes his own sword and kills the guy. Now, that has nothing to do with my sermon. I just love the movie Gladiator, so I want to tell that story. No, think about what Russell Crowe did in that moment, what Maximus did. He, he knew something about the sword. It's the frost that makes the blade stick. But then he also knew how to use the sword. He took it and he killed the guy. Jesus knew the word, but he knew how to use it. And the Bible says the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. That's Ephesians chapter 6. So Jesus is victorious because he's led by the Spirit. By the Spirit, he activates the word of God. He knows the word of God, but he knows how to use the word of God, and he defeats Satan on his own terms. So how are we going to win the battle of temptation? We've got to follow the example of Jesus. That's it. You follow the example of Jesus, and you can win the the spiritual battle. Now, it'll never be sinless because the Bible says that on this side of heaven, there is a spiritual struggle. But it's not just sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess. There's victory. There's the possibility of victory for me and for you and for every one of us because of who we are in Christ and because of the example of Jesus. And see, Jesus is a real example He's a real example because Jesus, he lived his earthly life, not out of the fullness of being the, third, the second person of the Trinity, not out of the fullness of being the Son of God. Jesus lived his earthly life as the perfect human. He lived his life as a man completely dependent upon God. That's why the emphasis in Luke 4 1 to 15 is he was led by the Spirit, he was full of the Spirit, he returned in the power of the Spirit. Jesus was a fully Spirit empowered man. Perfect man, fully God and fully man. But he lived his earthly life as a man dependent upon God. And see, Satan, in the temptation, tried to get Jesus to take his dependence off of God, but Jesus was unwilling to take his dependence off of God, and he relied upon the word of God and the power of the Spirit, and he resisted temptation. Sometimes people, I think, have in their minds the idea that, well, because Jesus is fully God, Jesus is the Son of God, I mean, he, he's not a real example to me. Of course Jesus didn't sin, because Jesus was impeccable. I like to use words 
you know, and and because words matter. My congregation at, at Crossland, they always laugh because I love juxtaposition. I try to work juxtaposition into every sermon I preach because it just sounds cool, the word juxtaposition. There's another word, impeccable. In theology, the impeccability of Jesus means he never sinned and couldn't sin. But that doesn't mean he's not a real example. It, it says in um, Philippians chapter 2, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself and took on the form of a servant, and being found in the appearance and, and exterior position as a man, he humbled himself into the point of obedience to, obedience to death, death on a cross. Therefore God highly exalted him and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus never stopped being God, but he emptied himself of the divine right to live in the fullness of deity and instead chose to live in the humility of humanity, but he lived in perfect humanity because he always completely depended upon the Holy Spirit. Jesus is a real example because he's a real man. John 5.19 says this, Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it's something he sees the Father doing, for whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does. So Jesus acknowledged, I'm not living out of my identity as the Son, I'm living in dependence upon the Father. In John 14.10, he says, do, not, do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his work. So Jesus was abiding in the Father, and the Father was abiding in Jesus, and Jesus depended upon the Father, and because he depended upon the Father, he was victorious over temptation. Jesus goes on to say in John 17 that I'm in the Father, the Father's in me, I'm in you, and you are in me. So we live our lives the same way Jesus lived his life. Jesus was abiding in the Father, the Father was abiding in him, we're to abide in Jesus, and Jesus is to abide in us. This great truth that at the very moment of our salvation, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus came to live inside of us. Paul says in, in Galatians, 2, or, uh, Galatians 2, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, Christ lives in you. If you're here and you're not yet a believer, I got good news for you. Today, you could give your life to Jesus. Today, you could call on Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, and Jesus will come into your life. It's Jesus in you. So, so picture this. This is Jesus who resisted temptation because he depended upon the Father and was living a life empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus in us, and we can depend upon Jesus, and Jesus will give us the power to resist temptation, and we can live in the power of the Holy Spirit, and then this is us living abundant life in Christ. Because Jesus is in us. He's a real example, and because he lives in us, we can follow his example. Jesus, it says here in Luke chapter 4, was full of the Holy Spirit. Luke likes to highlight the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Luke wrote uh, Luke, and then you know Luke 2, which is the book of Acts. And the person and work of the Holy Spirit is featured predominantly in Luke's gospel over Matthew, Mark, and, and John. Luke emphasizes the work of the Holy Spirit in Jesus and in the apostles and in the book of Acts in everyday believers. 
Fifteen times in the book of Acts, Luke makes mention of apostles and congregations and individual believers being filled up with the Holy Spirit. That's the normal Christian life. The Christian life that lives victoriously in Christ is the Christian life where the Christian is filled up with the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus here in Luke 4. He's led by the Spirit. He's full of Spirit. He returns in the power of the Holy Spirit. To live a life where we are victorious over temptation, we follow the example of Jesus by living in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is a real example. He's a perfect example And he's an example because he was full and led by the Spirit. And because of this, because of this, Jesus was able to activate the Word of God when he needed it. See, there's there's power in God's Word. Jesus told a parable of the kingdom. He says the farmer goes out and sows the seed, and he gets up, and then there's a crop that's planted because It happened, and this is the language of the scripture, all by itself. There's an all by itself principle of God's word. It has the power to produce life change. Luke uh, is talking about here this reality of Jesus in the power of the spirit activating the word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces the division of soul and spirit and joint and marrow. It's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Jesus in John 17 in his high priestly prayer where he prayed for his followers and he prayed for every follower who would become a follower. Jesus has prayed for us. This is what he prayed in John 17. Father, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. We get sanctified, set apart, become more like Jesus by the word. Jesus activates the word when he's tempted in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's able to activate the word because he had the word inside of him. He had the word inside of him. As a devoted Jew, Jewish man, it was the pattern of of, uh, ancient Israel that men trained under the law would memorize the Torah. So Jesus, obviously, you know, as the Son of God, he's the author of Scripture, but this passage is highlighting him as the perfect man who had personally memorized the Scriptures. He had internalized God's Word. And every one of these temptations that, that uh, the devil throws at him, Jesus responds with a Scripture from the book of Deuteronomy. In fact, Jesus quotes exclusively from Deuteronomy, Psalms, and Isaiah. So if you want to get a you know, handle on the Hebrew Scriptures, start there. Deuteronomy, Psalms, and Isaiah. Because that's the Scriptures that Jesus quoted from. So Jesus memorized the Scriptures. He internalized it. And because he internalized it, he could activate it. Um, one of the great joys of my life right now is being a grandpa. I'm Pops to my three-year-old granddaughter, Hallie, and to my year-and-a-half-year-old grandson. um, uh, What is his name? What is my grandson's name? Oh, yeah, Taylor. Yeah. Uh, So, uh, and I'm about to be a grandpa again in a a month. So I'm with my, I was with my granddaughter, Hallie. We're walking around in a park. And she was looking at this flower, and I walked over and said, oh, you like the flower, Hallie? She goes, yes, and she tells me the name of the flower. And I said, how did you know the name of the flower? She goes, I want to be a botanist when I grow up. (laughs) She's three years old. I go, do you know what a botanist does? She goes, a a botanist studies plants. 
She's three years old. She knew the name of the flower. She knew what a botanist was, and she wants to grow up to be a botanist. Now, somewhere in her young three-year-old experience, someone told her what a botanist was. And someone must have told her the name of that particular plant. And that information got inside of her. And now we're having a conversation, and she pulls up that information and shares it. Jesus got the information of the Word of God into his heart, into his life. Satan is coming at him with temptation. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, that information comes out of him, and he speaks it back for spiritual victory. That, by the way, is what is known as the rhema of God. In Ephesians chapter 6, where it goes through the spiritual armor and all that we have, and then it says, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, the Greek term there is rhema. There's two Greek words for the English word word. There's logos, like in John 1, in the beginning was the word, that's the logos. But here in Ephesians 6, he's speaking the rhema. The rhema is the spoken word of God or the word of God that's specific for any particular situation. So Jesus had this entire Torah inside of him because he memorized it as a man. He's activated the word because he's empowered by the Holy Spirit and then he's able to bring to mind and into the situation the specific rhema for that specific situation. I mean, Jesus didn't just quote any old scripture. Believe it or not, there's a Bible verse, Isaiah 3.21, you can look it up at some point in time, that says finger rings and nose rings. It's just a list of these attire that the women of Israel were wearing when they were taken into captivity, and in naming the list, Isaiah 3.21 says finger rings and nose rings. That's inspired scripture. Satan says, turn this stone into bread. Can you imagine Jesus going... Isaiah 3.21 says, finger rings and nose rings. What the heck does that mean? Nothing. Jesus quotes the scripture that applied to the situation. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus didn't just grab a big scroll, you know, here's the whole Torah whacking on the devil. No, he quoted the specific scripture that related to the specific situation. What's the point I'm trying to make? When we can internalize God's word in such a way that we can recall it and apply it to the very situation that Satan is trying to defeat us in, that's when we'll walk in spiritual victory. Because the Holy Spirit empowers us to activate the word of God if we've internalized it, if we have it inside of us so that we can actually use it to win the spiritual battle. So if, you're, if your struggle is um, being tempted to say something unkind in response to someone, the Holy Spirit can bring to your mind Ephesians 4.29. No unwholesome words should proceed from your mouth, but only words that give grace to one another according to the need of the moment. If your temptation is to step into some type of immoral behavior, the Scripture can bring, the Holy Spirit can bring to your mind the Scripture, 1 Corinthians 6. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. You've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your body. 
If you're tempted to get panicky over some situation that's outside of your control, the Holy Spirit can bring to your mind, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all comprehension. So guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If you're tempted to feel like you're all alone and that God has left the building, the scripture that can come to mind that the Holy Spirit can use in that situation, 1 Peter 5 Seven, cast your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you. You see, there are specific scriptures that relate to every temptation you will face. 1 Corinthians 10, uh, 13 says, uh, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. Anything you face, everybody else faces. And God is faithful that with the temptation, he will provide the way of escape also. Well, what's the way of escape? The scripture that relates to that situation and you in the power of the Spirit activating that scripture so that you can be victorious and follow the pattern of Jesus. There's power in God's word. And so when we internalize it and live a life dependent upon the Spirit, following the example of Jesus... We are victorious in that situation. Jesus is a real example, and the example of Jesus is this. To allow the Spirit to enable us to activate the Word and resist temptation. That's my second point. Allow the Spirit to activate the Word and resist temptation, because that's what He does. Let me, let me just walk through two scriptures Uh, in in the New Testament to show you this is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit activates the Word of God within us so that we resist temptation. Okay, here's the first one. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 1 to 8. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 1 to 8. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, and not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, and just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. Now here, listen to this. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives you his Holy Spirit. The way you interpret what that last verse means is what came right before it. God has given us the Holy Spirit. For what purpose? To empower us to live a life of sanctification and not a life of immorality. See, the Holy Spirit, his job, his job is to make us more like Jesus. And so in this passage, Paul says, you're you're walking with the Lord, but I want you to excel still more. You're following the commands. I want you to be even more obedient in living a life of holiness and sanctification. Because God's will for you is not to live in immorality, but to live in sanctification. Great. How do I do it? I've given you the Holy Spirit. I've given you the Holy Spirit. It is through the Holy Spirit's power that we live these sanctified lives. We we, we can't live sanctified lives on our own, but the Holy Spirit, who is by his very name holy, he lives inside of us, and we can be holy. Just like Jesus 
was led by the Spirit, full of the Spirit, returned in the power of the Spirit, activated the Word of God in victory by means of the Spirit. We, because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, can follow the example of Jesus because the Holy Spirit empowers us to activate God's will. Let me give you another scripture. Galatians 5, 13 to 25. For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets this desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please but if you're led by the spirit you're not under the law now the deeds of the flesh are evident which are immorality impurity sensuality idolatry sorcery enmity strife jealousy outbursts of anger disputes dissension factions envying drunkenness carousing kicking cats things like this of which I forewarn you just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there's no law. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Wow. So this passage talking about freedom the freedom to love our neighbor as ourself, but be really careful. You've got this flesh principle inside of you, and that flesh principle might lead you to bite and devour one another. So the context is our struggle with interpersonal sin, being critical, being judgmental, being angry, being selfish, things that destroy relationship. We're called to love one another, not to live that way. So how do we not live that way and actually love our neighbor as ourself, which is the word of God? We are to walk by the Spirit, and we won't carry out the desire of the flesh. And if we live by the Spirit, let's walk by the Spirit. Paul uses two terms for walk here. One is the Greek word peripateo, which means to walk. And then he uses the word stoiko, which means to walk in a straight line, to walk in the steps of another. If you've ever been to the beach and you see those footprints in the sand, I remember when my kids were little, we'd take them to the beach and I'd be walking my normal gait of walking and my kids would be behind me trying to jump and put their feet right into the footprints that I had put before them. We are to walk in the footprints of the Holy Spirit. We're to live our lives empowered by the Holy Spirit and when we do, we don't destroy one another. We don't bite and devour one another. What do we do? We activate the word of God, which is to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He empowers us to put the word of God into practice and to win the spiritual battle. That's what Jesus did. You see, the power is in the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. Well, what's our part? We, we we surrender, we, we, we obey, we follow. I, I drove up here from Southern California yesterday. I got into my car, I started the engine, and I just waited for it to empower me to drive to Hume Lake. No, I stepped on the gas. But as soon as I stepped on the gas, the engine was engaged, and the power of the engine moved the car. I didn't move the car, the engine did. But I had to step on the gas. 
See, we, we've got to say yes to the Holy Spirit. We, we've got to surrender to the Holy Spirit. We've got to obey the Holy Spirit, but it's the Spirit who empowers us to live the Christian life and win the spiritual battle. Jesus lived a perfect life dependent upon the Father. He'd internalized the Word of God. That Word was within him, and because he surrendered to the Spirit, obeyed the Spirit, walked in the Spirit, the Word was activated into his life when he needed it, and he defeated temptation. That's the, the pattern that Jesus has for each of us. I just have a few minutes, so let me give you some practical ideas for practicing spiritual victory. Here's the first one. Make a decision to put the death, the flesh, and walk by the Spirit. You got to make a decision. See, if you're in, in this life where it's just sin because you're spiritually flatlining, you got to make a decision to say yes to Jesus Christ and invite him to be the Lord of your life. Ask Jesus to save you and give you spiritual life. If you're living this life of sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess, get off that spiritual roller coaster and make a decision to say no to your flesh and yes to the Holy Spirit. That's why it says in Galatians 5.24, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Romans, Romans 8 says, we're under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the misdeeds of the body, you'll live. Make a decision now. This is the best place to make any spiritual decision. Right here. Hume Lake. Right here. This worship service. This is, this is the best place. My, my old disciple, when I worked with Campus Crusade, used to say, hey, when the windows are fogged up, it's not the time to make your decision about where you, how far you're going to go on a date. Think about it. When you're at that moment of, I'm just about ready to say yes to temptation, the chances are you're going to say yes. But if beforehand you've made a decision, I'm going to walk by the Spirit. I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. I'm going to say no to my flesh. I'm going to say yes to the Spirit. You're setting yourself up for spiritual victory. Make a decision. Here's the second thing. You've got to receive and internalize the Word. Just like my, my, my granddaughter had to learn somewhere what it meant to be a botanist, you've got to have that information in your heart. You've got to read and study and memorize this book. And you can do it because we all have the capacity to, to read and study and to memorize. Now, some of us maybe have learning disabilities, but barring that, every one of us can take this information into our hearts in such a way that in the power of the Spirit, we can activate it when we need it. I know that because I've memorized stupid stuff, and I still remember it. ¿Cómo están Pablo y Luisa? Pablo está bien, pero Luisa tiene que estar. Qué lástima, lo siento. Ojalá que se mejore pronto. I remember that in eighth grade dialogue. When two parallel lines are intersected by a transversal, alternate exterior angles are equal. Tenth grade geometry. I am an acne pimple, as lonely as can be. Don't cry, pimple. I'll keep you company. Say, fellow pimples, with three be a crowd. All together, pimples, sing real loud. Na, 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 na. That was a Clearasil commercial from the 1960s. <laughs> oh, it gets worse. 
you can actually look this up on YouTube. The Biola Professor Who Raps. I said a hip hop, a hibbity to hibbity, hip hip hop. You don't stop rocking to the bang bang boogie. Say so up jump the boogie to the rhythm of the boogie to be. I am Wonder Mike and I'm here to say hello to the black, to the brown, to the red and the blue, to the purple and yellow. But first on the mic is my man Hank. Hank, thanks. Sing that song. Check it out. I'm hip, the dimp, the ladies pimp, the women fight for my delight. And I'm the grand master with the three MCs who shot the house with the young ladies. I could go on the full 12 minute version of Rapper's Delight. Why did I memorize that? I have no idea. The point is, if I could memorize something stupid like Rapper's Delight, I can certainly memorize God's Word. Because this will set me free. This will change my life. If I surrender to the Holy Spirit, and it's the same for you too. It's not just me, it's you. It's all of us. Because it's the example of Jesus. If we surrender to the Holy Spirit, we can, in the power of the Spirit, activate the Word of God when we need it. To win the spiritual battle. See, this side of heaven, there's spiritual struggle. If we're spiritual flatline, if we're dead spiritually, we need to be made spiritually alive. We need to say, Jesus, come into my heart, forgive my sin, be my Lord and Savior, set me free. We need to be saved. If we're living that just roller coaster life of sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess, we need to be delivered. And Jesus delivers us because Jesus was victorious over temptation, and he's a real example. We can follow the example of Jesus to live in the power of the Holy Spirit and then activate the Word of God that we've hid in our hearts because it's the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Let me pray for us. Father, I, I pray for myself. I pray for each of us here this morning that we'd make the decision we need to make. We're all on a spiritual journey, and we need to make a decision today what our next step's going to be. Gosh, Holy Spirit, open our eyes and our hearts, every one of us, because you love us so much. Let us see what our step ought to be. And if there's anyone here who needs to make that step of asking Jesus into their heart, may you do that right now. Just say, Jesus, forgive my sin. Come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. If there's any of us that need to be set free and delivered so that we live an abundant life in Christ, we live in spiritual victory, may we decide right now, Holy Spirit, take control of my life. Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, empower me to put your word into practice. Jesus, pour out your truth and your grace on every one of us. We love you, Jesus because you are a wonderful Savior, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.